The Culture Pop Podcast is brought to you by the Law Offices of Jacob M. Ronnie. Accident or injury, call Jacob M. Ronnie. Call Jacob. Hey, it's Mace. If you or a friend or loved one is injured in an accident, the first person you should call is my friend Jacob. When I did this, Jacob was great. He helped me by talking through the next steps, which really put my mind at ease. When you're injured in an accident, you got to have an expert. That's why you call Jacob, just like I did. Call Jacob, 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. Or visit calljacob.com. Call Jacob. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason, along with Sue Kalinske. We are recording Tuesday, December 19th in the morning, and I love the morning. Actually, Sue, first of all, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Steve. All right, good. I wanted to get that out of the way. (laughs) So I drink, how much coffee do you drink in the morning? I drink around two cups, but I drink decaf. Yeah, what's the point in decaf? Because I like it. I like the calf. I don't I'm in it for the, the calf. I'm not in it for the calf. I just like the ritual of coffee and it's really good tasting coffee. So by the way, Chris Estrada is coming up from this fool. So make sure you hang out for that. Um, so I, I did some math. I drink two quad espressos every day before I do the show. So I got curious. I'm like, how, how much caffeine am I actually consuming? So I did a little work here. A cup of coffee, 95 milligrams of caffeine. Green tea, 30 to 50 milligrams of caffeine. Diet Coke, 46. A shot of espresso, 63. So I have two quad espressos, which means I have 504 milligrams of uh, caffeine before I go on the radio every day. I I drank a pot of coffee this morning before we did the show. Uh, Do you think this is uh, a healthy process for me, the consumption of caffeine to get really, really up, up, up to do a show? I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. Yes. But I would like to hear what your doctor has to say, because Tom drinks, I guess, maybe not not as much caffeine as you, but he he drinks a couple of, you know, he takes a big, uh, he takes a big, uh, big thermos, big thermos of coffee in the morning. Right. Um, and, uh, seems to be fine for him. So I, I don't know. I, I, you know, they always come out with these reports. It's like, don't drink coffee. Do drink coffee. Yeah. Dr- drink red wine. Don't drink, you know, red wine. So I, I, I don't know. How do you so feel? I, I How hate do you feel? coffee. I hate, well, first of all, I'm buzzed because I had a pot of coffee this morning, but I, I hate coffee. That's my problem. What do you mean I, you hate coffee? I don't you like drinking taste? it. I don't like the taste of it. It's just brown, bitter water for me. Do you, you don't put, it's just black? Just black, brown, bitter water, and I chug it. I don't want to taste it. I literally want only the effect. I don't like the ritual. Oh. I don't like the taste. What about Red Bull? You know, it may, has a weird chemical feeling to it. It doesn't feel like coffee. Yeah, it like feels unnatural. Mm-hmm. Um, and five-hour energy and stuff like that I've tried. There's uh, natural only- caffeine stuff that you can drink. I mean, you well, can isn't make- coffee natural co- caffeine stuff? Well, well, I'm saying there's um, that maybe doesn't. I don't know if it, it, but I guess it does have nicotine. I don't know. I remember when I was when I was I worked with editors, they yep. used to drink this specific thing, and I think they'd get it at Trader Joe's, okay. and it was some sort of like powdered thing that you would put in hot water. Okay, and something tips, 
Do you know what I mean? Do you no. know what I'm talking about? Something tips you get it at Trader Joe's. Yeah. What do you mean? What tips? It physically well, tips or no? No, it's it's that was the name of it. It was something tips, and hmm. and, and it was uh, a caffeine, and, and it had a lot of caffeine in it. Okay. And they would drink that. Yeah, editors need that to stay awake and alert. Um, so, Sue, I made a major purchase. I don't buy stuff. I'm not a big stuff buyer. So I like to, I, I, you know, obviously I've been very lucky. We like experiences more than stuff, but I bought a brand new item for the house that's very expensive. It is a massage chair. Oh, wow. Now, have you ever tried the massage chair where it like sort of sucks you in and massage? Have you ever done that? Okay. I've, I've never done one of those, but my nephew is a triathlete. Okay. And he travels when he's doing races. So he came down here to do a race. Okay. And he has this mechanism. It wrap, it, you put your, you put your, your legs through it. It's for your legs. It's okay. only for your legs. Got it. And it has different, um, speeds, right? Okay. As far as like tightness of how it, it like, it's like vel it velcros around your legs. You, and you, then does it inflate with air? Does it inflate with air? It inflates and then it squeezes. Oh, nice. So it's after you've taken a long run. Right. And then it has heat in it. Okay. That's beautiful. And you could do it for 10, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes. You could do it for an hour. And it was the coolest thing in the world. And I didn't, I hadn't run, but I just wanted to experience it. And it made me want to go out and buy one. So we got it for half price. Nice. Because Ireland um, bought one at the same time. So we did a two for one deal and we literally saved 50% on the chairs. Wow. Because they're like it's super expensive chairs. Oh, I bet. Thousands. Yeah. Thousands. Like, I'll tell you, since it's a podcast, it's an $11,000 chair. Wow. And we got it for 50% off. That's great. Yeah, it was a good deal. Uh, My one big purchase for this year, along with a chain. uh, I'm going to start wearing a chain, I decided. A chain? Yeah, like a a chain around my neck. For what, 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 like like a gold chain or silver chain? A silver chain, yeah, silver chain. And and what's the significance of that? Um, I think it's just looking cool. Where is it? I just ordered it. It comes tomorrow. Okay, I'm buying my wait. own Christmas presents. I got a massage chair and a chain. I'm ready to go. Happy New Year! Did you see it? Uh, did you see a chain on someone and I thought I want to look like that? I saw a commercial on TV for a company called Jackson J A X X S O N, and they sell chains. And I was like, huh. I don't have one of those. I think I'm going to get a chain. Now it's not all iced up, right? As they as they say, it's not all iced up, and, it's, and there's no like big M on it. The Mason. <laughs> the Mason. Yeah, it's not like that. But I, I just think it's an interesting style statement. I I was going to get a St. Christopher's medal, even though I'm not really practicing Catholic anymore. But St. <laughs> Christopher got stripped of his saint uh, status. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, they he, were like, what, Saint, did, what did he do? That's why it's like hundreds of years ago. What could St. Uh, Christopher he's not doing, have done? He's not, he's not doing anything. He's, right, he's, he's fun. Helped, he's helped people travel all these years, and now he's out of a job. It's not like retroactive. I mean, like, what? what it's like crazy. <laughs> we question that miracle from 500. 
Yeah, it's crazy. So anyway, no St. Christopher Mel, but uh, a chain is my new thing. Okay, well, on the first uh, show that we come back from the holidays. Um, you better believe it. You, you better <laughs> you believe, better you believe better be it. I'm wearing it. that chain. Yeah, I'm wearing that chain. So, Subalu, we had a conversation a couple of shows ago about, I, I mentioned, you know, I, I, I don't know if anybody knows this, but I, uh, from time to time, use cannabis. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I, you, you, I, you, you, you know what? You use so much cannabis that you've forgotten how many times that you've told everybody that you <laughs> use it. Uh, so I uh, smoke pre rolls a lot, and I, I said on the show, I, I think it's really bad for my voice. And Sue, you describe something called a bubbler. So describe what because you sent me one. What does a bubbler actually actually do? Well, it's a portable water pipe. Right. So, um, so it's a mini bomb. It's a mini bomb. And uh, because of the water, you know, it, it, because it, you're, you're, you have this, this little, this narrow pipe. Yes. You're, you're not sucking in just like, like if you're, if you're rolling joints, you're not just sucking in paper and, and weed. Right. It's, it's the water that acts as some sort of uh, soothing vapor. Oh, right. Yeah. So it like filters it for you and it makes it smoother. It's smoother. You're not going to cough. Um, and it's so just. So I got this little thing. Do I put throat. water in it or what? Well, there's a line. If okay. you look inside of it. Yep. You'll oh, there's see a line you fill up to. You fill up to that. Yep. Right. And then you screw on the top. Yep. Where does the flower go? It goes just in the top. Now, I thought you needed a screen, but I. I sent one to someone else and You've I been said, sending out bubblers for the holidays. I sent out a, f a few <laughs> and I said, you, you probably going to have to get your own screen. And they said, no, I just put the weed in and it, the, the hole is so narrow. You know, it's like a pinhole. It is that, tiny that uh, the weed doesn't come through. Oh, okay. So then you just put pot in it and then that little stem pops out and do you I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm definitely trying it out. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year's. So the one thing I love most about the gift <laughs> is that it came from a place called Waterbeds and Stuff. Okay. Now, I would imagine that they're focusing on the stuff more than the waterbeds now because people do not use. Does anybody still sleep in a waterbed? I don't know. And a part of me is even wondering whether there are waterbeds. Well, you know? did you ever like, have a waterbed? I never did, but I had friends that had one. Yeah, I, I did. I did. And you know what it was great for? Sex. It was really good for sex. Um, but I, I could not sleep on one now. And I think waterbeds and stuff, you know, it's like they're probably not busy on the waterbeds, but um, you're keeping them in business with the stuff. Well, like I said, a part of me feels like it's a front. Like, you know, when I was living in New York many years ago, there was a cleaners around the corner from where Penny lived. Okay. And um, it was a front. They were they were selling pot out of there. Oh, really? Yeah. Sorry. You got a call? You want to take it? No, it's all right. It was Tom. <laughs> all right. Um, so, um, yeah. So, there was no, they weren't, they weren't dry cleaning any clothes. Yeah, right. There was just. Come to buy your weed. Well, and, it was, and, and when I go when I go on their site, 
I don't see any waterbeds. I just see the bubblers. Is that right? There are no waterbeds on their site? I just see the bubblers. But they've but kept the name. Waterbeds and stuff. Yeah, it was so hard to get uh, weed in New York back in the day. When you and I were there, it was not legal. And right. there was this weird thing where you called a number and you gave them a code and they would show up at the building with some weed. Yeah, you can get it delivered. Guy on a bike. But it was yeah. not it was not legal. No, I know. I know. It was a dicey situation. Right, right. By the way, how much did you... I was having this conversation with uh, my friend Michelle Smallman, who is uh, one of our morning hosts on 710. And she says... She was trying to figure out how much to tip her doorman. We went through this. It's that time of year where you got to right. tip the doorman. And the doorman in New York is like your... He's your go-to. Do you remember how much you tipped your doorman slash doormen at Christmas time? I probably gave them, I don't know, maybe 50 bucks a piece. No way. Maybe. Or 25, no maybe, maybe 25. No way. Oh, what do you mean? Like a hundred? I, I gave my doorman $2,000 to distribute oh. amongst the staff. Oh, no, I don't know. I probably, we had, we had uh, two different doormen, two young guys. And I think I probably gave him, I don't know, maybe 50 bucks a piece. I don't know. Oh, my God. That was a long time ago. Yeah, I know. But I heard that you're supposed to really overtip your doorman. Oh, really? I don't yeah. know. Well, you lived in a fancy schmancy. I did live in a fancy. You know, it's, it's like they, you probably had like a huge staff to contend a, with. A giant staff. By yeah. the way, I would, where would you live now if, you, if, if all of a sudden they said, hey, we heard your podcast. Come back to our radio show. Where would you live in New York? I'd live on the Upper West Side. That's my favorite part of the city. See, I lived on the Upper West Side, and I would move downtown. Yeah. I, no, I would I live in the East Village or the West Village. Yeah. I love the Upper West Side. I lived on, uh, I lived on 74th between the park and uh, Columbus. Yeah. Where did I live? I lived at 66th and West End. Right. Right well, by on ABC. The, you were on the water, weren't you? Right on the water. Yeah, yeah. right on the water. I overlooked the water. And sadly... And embarrassingly now, the building was branded Trump yeah. Place. I know. And I thought, at the time, I thought, hey, how cool is that? Yeah, you live in the Trump, Trump building. Now Oof. I think, oh my God, what am I thinking? Uh, all right, uh, let's do this thing. You want to? Yeah. Okay. Uh, our guest today is a stand-up comic who co-created and stars in one of the funniest shows on TV. It's called This Fool, and both season one and season two are now streaming on Hulu. He also just hosted a weekend collaboration at the Punk Rock Museum in Las Vegas. Chris Estrada joins us. Chris, thanks a lot for coming on again. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So uh, season two of This Fool was absolutely, is absolutely fantastic. I, I'm not kidding. It's the only half-hour comedy television program I watch now. There's just nothing else that appeals to me. And this is, uh, you just kill it here. And the show seems to have been evolving. It's gotten, it's just as funny, but it's gotten a little darker. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's what we were going for. I wanted a, I think, um, I, I wanted, uh, I'm proud of season one, but the, there was sort of, um, there was, there was almost like a, even though it's a single, single camera show, there was a little bit of a network charm, even though we were pretty edgy. We were pretty edgy the first season, but I said, I want to just get a slightly darker and grittier without sacrificing any of the funny. And I just wanted to 
be, be like, how can we make existentialism even funnier? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I love how you incorporate just social situations, you know, yeah, thank you. um, you know, just little things like, and I, I, I don't know if, if people haven't seen the show, I'm sorry, I'm going to give away a couple of things here and there, okay. but like when Lewis was talking about, Luis was talking about how he uh, had to put in a temporary password and it didn't work. And yeah. he was just going through it. Z, X, whatever, <laughs> you know, just, just little things like that. Like, um, and, and when you went to see the, um, the minister at the trailer park and just like a quick little hit of a tiny house that was yeah. there, it's all these little things. It's, it's kind of like reading Mad Magazine sometimes. Yeah. You know? We try, we try to pick up on the minutia. Yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. when we went to go location scout that trailer park. It's a, uh, it's sort of this. Uh, it, it it's a, uh, it's out in the over by. It's like an hour away from Los Angeles, and it's not even a functional trailer park. It's it's kind of done and decorated for movie sets uh, that somebody rents out. It's like a junkyard, and when we were driving by, we saw that we saw that tiny, weird, abstract-looking house, and. <laughs> almost like an outhouse and we said oh we need to put that in there because you just find the little minutia or just the minutia of like him um him explaining the password and trying to remember what the password was which is so inconsequential yeah and i think nothing's more annoying when you're trying to get something done and somebody's trying to talk to you about the inconsequential it's kind of we did something similar in season one during this fight episode where we went to go try to gang round up a bunch of guys to go fight at the park. Oh yeah. And one guy's complaining about his back problems. And then I start <laughs> complaining about my back problem. <laughs> and Chef Percy starts complaining about his back problems. And then Lisa's like, oh, we're not here to talk about backs. <laughs> right. But also what, what's keeping in story too with Luis is that he was in prison for a while. So, you know, yeah. the average person would know that you have to sometimes do yeah. Uh, a, 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 you know, like, a, a, you know, you had to yes. get a given password like that. Yeah. So for him, it, it's, it even has it's another lay, layer yeah. to it. It's new. So you and uh, Frankie Quinones, who plays uh, Luis, you guys have such great chemistry. Oh, just like you. instant, yeah. immediate, yeah. like all this, you guys just fit, right? Yeah. How did you, was he always going to be the guy? Did other people audition for that role? Other people auditioned. Uh, you know, I think why we have chemistry is because I I knew him. He's been my friend for like 10 years, for like eight years before we did the show. Mm. And he was a guy who used to take me on the road to open for him. So that's so we used to like share hotel rooms. I would sleep on the floor. Or like We were always we we would we were flying together for years and we were busting each other's balls, like busting each other's chops for years that like we're just kind of we're just friends to begin with and we kind of feel like cousins but um no but other was, people still audition other people still auditioned yeah because he wasn't originally the person we thought of i think when i was thinking about the character i was imagining him as a really kind of taller but like very menacing looking guy and with tattoos on his face and all that stuff and those guys are act. There's a lot of actors that look like that, but you know what they don't have, and it's not because they don't have comedic timing. A lot of them, mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and it's just because it's not because they're not talented. They just don't come from comedy. And then when we asked Frankie to do it, he did such a good job, but he, he opened up the character more because it, he gave him a more human aspect because the truth is not all gang members are big, tall guys that are incredibly ripped to shreds and tattoos on their faces. He gave it a more human element. He gave it a, he gave it a more human element. And also when he's making, when him and the character Julia are going back and forth, it doesn't feel threatening or mean. It feels like two cousins busting each other's chops. And so that's really what he brought to it. He also brought a vulnerability to the character. Mm -hmm. he, and he just made it feel more human. And we also then just started thinking it was so funnier that like slightly shorter than the shorter guy. Yeah, yeah. And Julio and, you know, so he just made the character feel so human. Yeah, you, you know, it's it's like you guys are like two knuckleheads. It It's reminiscent to me of like, like do like comedy duos. I think of like yeah. Abbott and Costello. Yeah. And I think of, you know, who did, did you have inspirations of, of comedians of, of that era? Like, who inspired you comedically? Well, for those kind of twofold is Abbott and Costello's right. And three stooges. We wanted to smack each other all the time. Right. Like the idea was like to slap each other on the heads, like shove each other, like be juvenile about it. But also a big inspiration was the dynamic that Ice Cube and Chris Tucker had in the mm. first movie. Mm -hmm. That was a, that was a dynamic as well. But yeah, it, those two and the, the physicality of it was seeing uh, Ice Cube and Chris Tucker shove each other, kind of punch each other, slap each other on the head, just like kind of old slapsticky Three Stooges, like Abbott and Costello, like th that came from that as well. Yeah. Old school. So. Yeah. At one point, you, and I'm, I think this might have been in the first episode of the season, you had a line, uh, please kill me. I have a lot of work to do on myself, and I don't want to do it. Yeah. So, so the show is based on your life. Do you actually feel that sometimes? Yeah, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you feel overwhelmed by your, like, like sometimes you feel, I feel overwhelmed by like, God, I have a lot of shit to do. <laughs> I'm just like, I got a lot of shit to fix. And then it just feels so overwhelming where you're just like, you mean it, but you don't. You're fatalistic in the sense where it's just like, Jesus, that's a lot. You know? <laughs> yeah. I think we all feel like that sometimes. Yeah. What, well, do you I, need, what do you need to work on? You're like, I procrastinate too much. Uh, fuck, uh, I feel like I have, I fight, you know, I, I'll say this. I fight, I, I fight a lot of battles. Nobody knows I'm fighting. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That, well, I have a, I always joke around and, but this is true. I, I have a lot of arguments with people in real life that I have to remember didn't happen. They happened in my head. Oh, really? So you're wow. talking to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I think I, I know for myself, you know, there's definitely that element of, you know, things that I keep a little close to my vet, to the vest, yeah. you know, like yeah. some people, like I remember one time a friend of mine um, said that I, I guess they saw me cry about something and they said, God, you know, I don't, I don't see you as somebody who like would cry about something. And I, I looked at them like, really? Yeah. I said, is that how you see me? Yeah. And, and I, I said, they said, no, because you, you seem like, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of a toughie. You yeah. know, and I said, toughies cry. Yeah, toughies cry. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So you did a takeover of the punk rock museum in Las Vegas. It was, uh, this, this past weekend, right? Yeah, this past weekend, they opened, um, uh, a few people from that sort of world of, of rock music, of punk music, opened up a museum there about like, God, eight months ago now. And it's, it's a pretty amazing museum, very thorough, very cool. And it's a real museum. I mean, you think punk rock, you don't think a museum, but it's displayed very well. And the artifacts they have are amazing, but they, they would see me on the show wear punk rock t-shirts from mm -hmm. bands. And they reached out to me and they go, do you really like that stuff? I go, oh yeah, I love it. I go, I, I try to put it in the show in a very, in a very casual way where it's not like a big deal. Right. Like it's not a big deal in my, sure. in my day to day life. So it just feels more genuine that way. And they were very nice and we were in talks and they said, you should come and do a takeover. And I go, what does that consist of? And they said, you would give two guided tours to two guided tours of the museum. You would DJ at our bar at night. They have a bar right next to the museum. And then you would have a, would you be interested in doing a comedy show here? And I said, yeah, if I could bring two other comedians with me. Mm. And said, yeah. So, and then we did a screening of two episodes from season two on, on Sunday. So when did you get into punk rock and what, how does that fit into your life? You know, I got into it 13, 14, you know. Right around the time when you're angry for no reason. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think I had reason, but yeah, around that time, you know, it, it was kind of funny. I was, I felt like, you know, I'm Mexican American and, uh, my parents are immigrants. So even though I enjoyed my parents' music, like Latino music, Mexican music, it, I felt like I needed something that was my own. And, and aside from the Mexican and Latino music I would hear in, at home kind of around me because I grew up in a neighborhood that was also black. I would hear a lot of hip hop. So that, that, that was cool too. But when I found like punk rock music, it felt very angry. It mm -hmm. felt very like it, it, it felt so visceral and yeah. it also felt like outsider music, you know, and feeling like an immigrant, my parents being immigrants. I, it, it was sort of the perfect music for that. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the the music that you're, that's the theme of the show. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds Asian. That you know what's so funny? Somebody somebody told us that it sounds uh, it sounds really funny that I've had a few comments that somebody told us that. I don't hear it, but I, but but I but other people hear it. There was um we had a group named Chicano Batman. They're uh, kind of a very cool alternative like Latin group based out of Los Angeles. And when we had them do our theme song, we were going through old music and we found this song called, um, forgot the name of the song, but it was an old Mexican American soul group from, mm. from Texas named Sonny and the Sunliners. And, um, they famously have a song called smile now cry later. And, um, we, there was one song in particular that sounded a little psychedelic. Uh, and probably did have an, like an Asian kind of tinge to it that we said, can you do your version of this? And they said, yeah, absolutely. So that's where we got that from. Hmm. So I read an article, um, in Esquire yeah. about you. So yeah. did you ever think that someday you would be profiled in Esquire? I mean, that's like, oh. that would be so cool. Uh, did you ever oh. think that was going to happen? 
No, I, I mean, I was working at a warehouse, like, you know, up until like, God, maybe three years ago. Wow. Maybe, maybe four. So, and I was doing like weekends on the road, like being a stand up comedian. So I never, I really just thought, I think I'll be a working stand up. And then at, at most, I'll probably get to write on somebody else's TV show. Because hmm. I was, I was thinking to my, I was trying to make my career go into the writing thing. And no, never. I mean, that was really cool. I mean, as someone who read Esquire, you know, it, it was really cool to be on there. So how, how much of the series is, is kind of ripped from, from your life? You know, I would say like 50, 60, mm. uh, like 50, 60%, you know, I admittedly, I never worked at a nonprofit, you know, but, uh, the family, like the mom, the grandmother, the two sisters, they're modeled after my own mom, grandmother, two sisters, um, the character Julio and his personality, especially in season two, I feel like that's more of who I am. Like, and I had a real cousin named Luis who had former gang member who had been to prison and I modeled him after my cousin, the character that Frankie plays after my cousin Luis and my cousin Carlos. So, you know, they were former gang members who had been to prison and we kind of had that kind of relationship where it was loving, but antagonistic and ball busting and whatnot. So how, how does the family react knowing that some of these characters are based on your family? How, how are they taking when they see the show? Are they like, Hey, what do you, you know, why yeah. did you do that? Or, or are they I just smoking it up? No, nah, they were flattered. I mean, I think yeah. my mom was my mom was embarrassed because you know she was a she was a janitor, mm -hmm. she was a janitor for thirty years. Before that, she only worked working class, like worked at a factory. So, but she used to take toilet paper from her job, and and bring it home, and it was the worst toilet paper. And we have an episode about and it. I know that episode. I That's a great that episode. One. Yeah, we have an episode about it in season one, and you know. Uh, she was, she was slightly embarrassed. She goes, she goes, ah, people are going to know it. Everybody for my job is going to know. I go, you just retired. No one will know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go, if they know you won't be there anymore. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah. we've had, uh, Michael Imperioli, Imperioli on the show. Oh yeah. He's a great he's guy. Great on this. I mean, this guy's an actor. He's a right. poet. He's a musician. Yeah. He's an, I mean, he does everything. And he's got sort of a darker arc on the show this yes. year, um, yeah. creating mugs, not thugs. And of course, what happened yeah. with it, what, what's he like as a scene partner and what's he like as, as a person for you? Man, he's incredibly giving. Like the one thing I, I realized about Michael is, you know, how much he, he loves actors. Like he, he loves actors. Like I, I remember the first time I met him during season one, he, he would come up to me and go, let's read our lines together. Let's practice. And mm -hmm. that really meant the world. Cause I, I probably, I, I think I, he broke that ice. Cause I think I was a little too embarrassed to go up to him and tell him, Hey, do you want to read lines? You know, I'm new to acting. I also thought maybe asking him, he would be like, I know my stuff already, you know, like, yeah, yeah, you know, mm -hmm. but no, he taught me that it's a continual craft and that any free time you have, if you can work on it and he's a, he's a really giving guy and he's very earnest. You know, I come from stand-up comedy and I think a lot of us like in, co in comedy, we're very cynical. Right. You know, 
we're very cynical. It's hard for us to be earnest and take anything too serious. And he was a guy that like just taught me to be earnest about it, to be earnest and take acting very seriously. So in that scene, um, when you were getting ready to, uh, for the grand opening of the coffee yeah. house, um, uh, the Michael Perioli's character, uh, was act, acted kind of like a sensei, sensei, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wanted to, cause I know that he's a martial artist. Did yeah. he, cho did he choreograph that scene? Yes, he did. He did. Wow. He did. It was really cool because we, he, he's, uh, if I remember, he does Taekwondo, if I, mm -hmm. if I, if I remember correctly. So when we were doing that scene, it, right after season one, when we were writing season two, I wanted to find ways to implement him doing martial arts. Cause I think what I like about him is that I think Julio looks at him as his sensei, but he's a very flawed human being. Like everybody in the show is a very flawed person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. you know? Everybody in the show is a very flawed person. And I think everybody in the show is looking up to false idols, you know? And, and that's kind of the thing about, I wanted to drive home is that, you know, oftentimes we look up to people who then themselves are incredibly flawed, you know? And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just a human thing. But he, we had, so when I asked, when I wrote that scene, I go, would you mind choreographing something like, since you know Taekwondo? And he goes, yeah, I'll put something together. So that, that was all him. Oh, that's cool. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, that was really cool. So in uh, one of the episodes, uh, The Rooster yeah. uh, says, uh, my boy, you're suffering from clinical depression, yes. which is which is just, you know, out of, out of nowhere, The Rooster's uh, chatty. Yeah. So d is that, uh, again... So I, I've struggled with depression, anxiety, yeah. being overwhelmed, all that stuff. Uh, and yeah. I talk about it on, yeah. on the radio and here on the show. Is that something that, that, that you wanted to touch on? Yeah, that's something we wanted to touch on. We wanted to touch on this idea of just like characters wrestling with depression, you know, and trying to figure things out. And what does, what does kind of functional depression look like? Or, you know, what is, cause, I think people think about depression in, in an extreme mm -hmm. where people are just, they stay in and don't do anything. But the yeah. truth is if there's so many more, more than more people are actually just functional and they kind of, they, they walk around their lives and go to work with this kind of weight on their shoulder, mm -hmm. you know, and we wanted to explore what that looks like. We wanted to throw what that looks like in a very human way, in a very smart way, but also in a, in a very honest way and, you know, find ways to make it funny, to find humor around it instead, right. of, instead of making fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. Making fun of the condition is to find the humor around it and, and the obstacle that it creates. You right. Know, right. I, yeah. I think it's important. I, I work with the LA County Department of Mental Health. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about is how guys in particular yeah. will not acknowledge or deal with or even recognize to themselves that there is depression or there is some mental health thing. And I think that's one of the, the important things that comes out of the show, I think, is a, a man dealing with depression. Yeah, that's what we wanted to focus on and focus on Julio's depression and then realizing that he's, that he's learning that Minister Payne is the same way. Yes, yes. Yeah. And, and that's probably why they're both self-destructive. Yep. Yeah. You know, yeah.
So right. your life has gone from work. You mentioned this working in a warehouse as mm. recently as three or four years ago yeah. to this really successful TV series, two seasons now. Yeah. How has your life changed? Just your day to day life. And what's it like when you go back to your old neighborhood? You know, I think my life's changed in a way where I'm afforded the, I'm afforded the, the time to be a little more creative, like on, on my own schedule, mm -hmm. you know, on my own schedule. It's also, you know, it's, I think getting recognized really is the big thing. Like, you know, before I was a stand-up comedian, I, I still am. But if you, before, if I ever got recognized, it was by people who were fans of stand-up comedy in a very niche world. You had mm -hmm. to know stand-up comedy in Los Angeles to know who I was, you know? And so that was, and it wasn't until then that like sometimes I'm walking around and you kind of get people who I wouldn't expect like the show come up to me and tell me I love the show. Walk with me. My wife is over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, to, uh, you need to meet her or whatever. Are, so, we, the, are we like the average this pool? viewers you know what i'm really proud of it it's everyone yeah. i mean you get you get a pretty wide demographic of like people from like you know it's it's really interesting like when i was I, I was in new york not too long ago and what i was proud of is i was walking around new york and twice two door guys came out of their buildings and yelled out this fool <laughs> and then uh. I stopped to talk to them and they were like, wow, we love the show. And, you know, but yeah, it's a, I think what I'm proud of the most is that there's a, there's a lot of different demographics that come up to us. And also what I'm proud of too, is that this, we know, this is a number that we got from Hulu, from Hulu is in terms of a male, female demographic, we have about an even split. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But, so it's really cool to know that, you know, we have about 49% female viewership and 51% male viewership, which is about pretty even. So it's really cool to know that, you know, not just dudes are watching the show, but women are watching the show and that, that a lot of women feel represented by the female characters in the show and whatnot. So I, I, I really like that a lot. Yeah, well, it's a real testament to, you know, to you guys, you know, to the writers yeah. who, yeah. Um, when you talk about how females are represented, one of the, um, one of the storylines that I love was the single mom. And, yes. and I loved when she introduced, when you, when she met a single dad and she was very forward and yeah. said, you want to get together. And, and he was like, what? Uh, you know, I don't want to be with a single mom who has a kid, even yeah. though he was a single dad with he a was kid. A single dad, yes, he was a single dad with the kid. We were trying to be like, how can we be the most funny and realistic about it? Because there's a lot of, you know, knuckleheads out there who are single dads themselves, but would be like, I don't want to date someone with a kid, you know? Right. Well, so, well, it's yeah. like a, it's like a some guy who's overweight who's like, I'm not dating a fat chick, yeah, you know? Yeah, and it's exactly. like, well, look in the mirror, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yep. It was that it was that same contradiction where we were like, how can we make fun of this situation? How can we how can we point out the frustration that this woman's going to deal with? You know, has yeah. uh, has Hulu given you any word about a potential season three? I wish we're still waiting to hear. I, yeah, I think the last thing we heard was we are going to hear in January. So well, fingers crossed. I, yeah, I really fingers so. crossed. 
Wow. Yeah, it's such a funny show, man. And man, uh, thank you guys for watching it. It really means a lot because you guys are really insightful watchers. Like you guys are insightful. You guys pick up on things that like from talking to you last year to this year again, you guys, you guys are very insightful in the way that you consume and watch the TV. That's very nice. That's great. Yeah. But one thing I want to say, and this is why I love the show so much, because it's a world that I really don't know a lot about. Uh -huh. I'm Jewish. I yes. went to see a show, and I don't know if you know this comedian, Alex Edelman. Do you know who Oh, yeah, is? yeah, yeah. Did you go see his one-man show? At yes. The, yes. Yes. Yeah. Just yeah, for us? Show. Yes, just for us. And, you know, I'm sure most, you know, I'm, I'm sure there, were, there was a majority of Jewish people in the audience, yeah. but I know there were a lot of non-Jews in the audience. Yeah, that's right. And it was one of those shows where you didn't have to be Jewish no. to appreciate the yeah. story that he told. Exactly. Because it was so, it was personal, mm -hmm. but, you know, like your show, it's yeah. one of those shows where everybody really needs to see this show. Oh, you thank know? you. Yeah. Because we it's to, an education. Yeah. We really tried to make it a show where it's such a specific world where we just thought if we just kind of let these characters be and talk the way they want to talk, it, if we don't, if they're not addressing their existence and they're just being who they are, I think oftentimes when you have groups that maybe groups on TV that you haven't really seen that much of before. Sometimes they get preoccupied with the characters having to explain their existence and explain who they are, which I don't think people do in real life. I think people just live their lives. Yeah. And if, and if they just kind of live their lives, I think people and not ex having to explain anything, it feels like you're being talked at. And, and if you're just, I, I don't like watching TV where you're being talked at. I like, yes. I like watching TV where you're brought into a world yeah, and, and they feel like they're talking to you, not talking at you. Yes. Sure. Well, and yeah. yet everything that happened, it feels, and, and Sue, I did not get to see the uh, one man show you recommended. I didn't get to oh, see yeah, it. Oh, yeah, watch it, yeah. Uh, but there, there's a universal, a, you know, it, although it's very specific and although this yeah. school is very specific, there's something very universal about it, which is one of the reasons why I think the show works so well. Yeah, thank you. We try to. Yeah, we tried to, you know, and just that idea of like, I, I got, I, I've gotten messages from people who, you know, in the first episode of the new season, um, the rooster episode, one of the, one of the, the B story was Luis dealing with the monotony of life mm -hmm. and, and having his own existential crisis. And what does freedom mean to him? Yeah. And, and you know, that story came from, me seeing my cousins dealing with life post prison and mm. and them having to go to work every day and them finding a monotony to it that they didn't think they would find in life in freedom yeah yeah you know right and and what does that mean existentially you know and i got messages from people who were formerly incarcerated that said man you guys really nailed what that anxiety mm. out of feels like out of prison like you, it, as, 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 as amazing freedom is, there's a bit of an anxiety to it because you realize that at times your life, freedom can be repetitive. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I want to ask you, did, did you ever listen to that podcast ear hustle? I'm sure you know about it. Yes. I know at, about out it. Of San Quentin. Yes. Yeah. My girlfriend turned me on to that podcast. Amazing. Because, because when, when I started listening to that, I'm a runner and I got to yeah. run. Yeah. at San Quentin with their wow. running group. 
That's so amazing. I got to, got to meet a lot of, and they told me about it and I started listening to it. And what yeah. I love about it is that they do these themes. So it's like sex after prison, you yeah. know, or just relationships or, yeah. or, or, or finding a place to live. Yeah. And it's such a window into that world, which is yeah. just fascinating. I think that world of post-life prison is fascinating. And I tried to touch on it with that in that first episode with Luis. Like, what does that mean for him? Where he's like, where I think freedom sounds wild in a way where you just go free. I can do whatever I want, but there's also a responsibility to freedom and a, and a monotony of getting up every day and going to work and a routine that can somehow go where you can find yourself going, huh? So this is my life, huh? Yeah. And, right. Right. Yeah. Well, you, you did it with, with your, with your mom, she retired yes. and then it was retired. like, now what? Yeah. Th and that was based out of my mom's retiring as a janitor. Like mm. she, I kind of, I found herself looking around going, what do I do with my life now? I mean, even the other day I asked her, I go, do you miss work? She goes, yeah, I really miss it. I wish I could have worked two more years. And I think it's, I I'm just fascinated with that stuff with like life after retirement, life after prison, life after a relationship, Yeah, you know, that mm -hmm. like, yeah, the, the, the end of something and the beginning of something new is really fascinating to me. Well, listen, congratulations. Yeah. Season uh, two yeah. is now streaming on Hulu uh, season one. If you have not watched the show, it literally is my favorite half hour comedy on TV. Uh, Makes me laugh. It's really, really smart. Um, and I feel like I know like 50 to 60% of who you are. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the rest. I don't know the you stuff know. you're holding close to the vest, but I, but I know, I know the part that's on TV. And thanks, um, Steve. Chris, thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much for coming on, yeah. man. Thank you guys. It means the world, honestly. And there is Chris Estrada. By the way, you know, you're doing a good show when the guest agrees to come back for a second time. Yeah. Of all the guests we've ever had, who would you like to have back for a second time? Well, I can't say that because what if they listen and I don't include them? Well, I mean, just what name pops into your head and nobody's um, going to take it personally. Um, who would I like to have back? Oh, for God. me, we actually talked about him. We did? Yeah. Well, with Chris, Michael Imperioli. Michael Imperioli. He is so, I, I mean, I, I was just shocked when we did that interview about how, what a, a, what do they call that? A um, renaissance man? Totally. He is a complete renaissance man. Well, remember I created a show for That's him? That's right. Yeah. I, I, I still think it's a great idea, but, you know, I don't know. I don't even know if it ever even got to him. Can you say the concept now? Yeah, it was basically um, all the different um, aspects of his life. You know, he's, a, he's, a, he's an amazing chef. He's a martial artist. He's a musician. Um, he's an author. Uh, he's an author. He's a poet. He's, a, he's an actor. Yeah. So it, he would meet with people in specific professions of the things that, that, that he excels in. Right. And he would spend time with them and, um, and they would, you know, talk about whatever. And we, we had like, there was a guy who, uh, he was a, he's a, he's a chef who, um, hires, all uh, people who have, you know, kind of like thematic to what Chris is doing with the coffee shop. It's not right. Mugs, bonds, not thugs, right? But but kids who are, you know, uh, have have um, 
you know, troubled behavior, troubled, troubled kids, um, and teaching them how to garden. Mm. And then taking the garden, the taking the food from the garden and, you know, doing like a farm to table situation. Oh, nice. So um, it was. What all was really, the show called? It was called um, The Art of Living. The Art of Living with Michael Imperial. Well, you know, I got a concept for you, right? All the same stuff with me. What do you think? Well, what do you do? I know I'm, I would be learning. I'm like common man. I'm like touch of the, I, I'm like, I will try gardening with troubled kids. I will try to cook in a fancy kit. I'll try to write a, a South American, uh, magical realism story. I'll do all that stuff that Imperioli does just not as well. <laughs> the, the art, art of, of the art of trying to live, trying to live. That? <laughs> it's a good pitch. I'm taking that out. Okay. I want to see a, I want to see a deck on that show. <laughs> but you know who I, you know, you know who I'd like to interview again, because we interviewed him with somebody else. Uh, okay. Um, and, the, the podcast hasn't come out yet. Is that okay? No, say? yeah, no, it actually comes out today. Matthew Good and Matthew Brown. I would like to interview Matthew Good, just Matthew Good, just, because, just because he was promoting the movie that he was in and the director was with him, which was wonderful. It was great. But but we couldn't really talk about other aspects of his right. career. We couldn't talk about uh, Match Point and a single man and all the help. Did you watch The Offer? The offer was insane. He was, he was insanely so good. good. Yeah. yeah, he played Robert Evans. He was great. Um, all right, so we'll put in a request for Imperioli, and I look forward to uh, the pitch, The Art of Trying to Live, <laughs> which is a totally catchy name. Hey, if you're uh, watching on YouTube, subscribe to this channel so you don't miss any shows, and please leave us a comment or a reaction or something on there. And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star review and a comment. All the reviews and the comments and the ratings and all that stuff help us with the algorithm as we continue to grow the show. Sue, it is great seeing you. And we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. <laughs>